Welcome back to Schaefer's Market Mashup. No frills today. Please welcome Kevin Lex Lutheringhausen, the Senior Vice President of Business Development at Tradier Inc. How, how are you, Patrick? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Now, I am ashamed to admit <laughs> I did not get your nickname until I actually said it out loud. And then I just sat there and was just like, duh. <laughs> yeah, so see, it's right there on my trading jacket. That's awesome. So, yeah, so th- that was a – you need to have three-letter acronym in the in the trading days when there actually was a trading floor, right? Mm-hmm. So I always went by Luther because my name, Lutheran House, is so long. So Kyle through college, Luther, Luther, Luther. So obviously that didn't fit on a, on a badge. Someone said, what about Lex for Lex Luther? I'm like, hey, kind of like that. So lo and behold, it was available about 100 years ago at the SIBO, and it's stuck to the point now where everyone just calls me Lex. So simple. Yeah, I like it a lot. <clears throat> well, Tradier has – you guys have your hands in so much. I'll, I'll let you talk in detail about that later. But I can tell you guys that I've you know tuned into your shows on Options Brew TV, Top Trading Thoughts. They're awesome. I mean, they're they're quick, but they're actionable. They're not dry, and listeners are about to find find out why. <laughs> but before all that, let's you know you're a first timer here on Market Mashup. Run me your background, what you do at Tradier, and yeah, spare no detail. Sure. Okay. Good. I'll, uh, unfortunately for you and the audience, I'm old, so there's a long background, but I'm gonna make it fast. So. Um, I started out in the trading business right out of college, right? So I went down there. My dad said to me, hey, before you have any expenses, why don't you try this trading thing? Because he was involved in the industry as well. I said, okay, what is it? I said, hey, you know, if you do well down there, you make markets and you can make a lot of money as a young guy. I said, oh, sounds fun. Instead of going to law school, let's give that a shot. So I did. I got um, connected with with someone who ultimately became my partner. Um, but it was, I was a disaster, a total failure on the trading floor. Um, my partner had to put more money in to bail me out every time because I was terrible at it. Um, but after a while, you know, I finally figured a few things out in the trading world and it clicked. So it clicked to the point where I started going and then he said, Hey, we want to create this trading business. So we created a trading firm back in 90, oh, 92. So that's a little bit of a description of how old I am. Um, but we, we started that and it, it became a smashing success. So we became DPMs across the board in uh, listed options. So that was SIBO, PhilEx, Amex, Peacoast, overseas in London, Amsterdam, and um, Frankfurt. So it became a big business. We had a clearing business. We ended up selling that in 05 to Merrill Lynch. Uh, moved along in the off-floor trading world for a little bit. Um, started doing some market making off floor for a while. And then we stumbled upon, I don't know, the retail world. So we're always professionals, right? Always prop traders. And we had a big book and what have you, kind of like a Susquehanna, you know, uh, we competed with. Um, but then we decided to say, hey, this retail thing's interesting. The way the market structure changed, it made retail trading very affordable and very approachable and accessible. So I said, hey, we have great technology. Let's revamp this technology and make it into something that, you know, a retail trader can understand and use. And let's see, let's see how that goes. So we made a product called Tradehawk, which we started in probably, I don't know, 17-ish thereabouts, maybe 18. Um, 
we connected to trade a year because their APIs were by far the best. Um, super easy to work with. You know, their customer service was outstanding. We connected with them very quickly um, and just started offering it to the, to the world more or less. Um, it was, you know, it was slow at first, but it caught a little fire. Um, and we became pretty successful at it to the point where trade year ultimately bought us. So my trade hawk this way, my trade hawk, brand became consumed by Tradier Inc. Uh, to this day. Um, so they bought us and my team and I work for them now and I'm, a, I'm the head of business development and sales at Tradier. So I deal a lot with, you know, uh, new partners and that sort of thing, uh, in addition to Tradehawk. So that's kind of my, I don't know, three minute history in a, in a speed round. Yeah, I don't have your time, but I'm pretty sure you're right around there. Um, <laughs> You know, it's 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 like they say, experience is the best teacher. I think you 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 definitely used your career as a trader to fill in the gaps and see what the investing world was, you know, lacking. And, and I think it was lacking in these services for retail traders. I mean, you guys have such a clean interface over there, and I think that's what a retail trader looks for most when they're browsing for such a service. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We uh, look at we we didn't get it exactly right the first time around. I, I would say that um, typical of the business, though, right? You you put something out, you get feedback, you kind of pivot a little bit. Um, I would say that especially with the Tradehawk product, our first version, which we're calling 1.0, um, has completely been rebranded into what we would call 2.0. And the reason we did that, we learned something. You know, we learned something that the retail trader taught us that we did not know. Um, and, and you know what, it's, it's, I, I would say the, the, the prop world that I came from very institutional, right? We do things very much different. It's, it's almost like it's a really fast automobile or airplane with just the bare basics is how we use our, our, our software. The retail world doesn't work that way. They want, you know, a really cool car with really cool buttons and really cool features, right? So we just intuitively knew how to do that. We find that the retail world needs a little bit of more intuitiveness than what we had around version 1.0. So having said that, uh, 2.0 is quite the, the the beautiful machine, I'd say. So, yep. I concur. I, I agree. And I, I love that analogy with the car. So to dive right in, what I love about this current ecosystem from a trading standpoint is it's a thinking man's game now. The point and click, hashtags, stonks, hashtag to the moon people, they're real quiet right now. And they've been replaced by people with actual, oh, I don't know, strategy. If AMC and GME dominated the headlines in 2020 and 2021, now it's some actual meteor topics like inflation and geopolitics. So... What's fascinated you most about the market climate we're currently in? Yeah, um, really good points, by the way. So we, you know, we we've obviously lived through the GME and the the, the meme stocks, right? Um, and you know, I'll start there and I'll move to what I think is interesting now. But that was an interesting time as well because we saw meteoric rises in those stocks, right? And it almost seemed like someone was trying to corner the market. In, in that environment. And it was the retail people, Reddit, whatever you want to say, who might, who might have been doing that. Okay, big deal. Um, they're, at the end of the day, they're not bigger than the market either. Um, 
but it was interesting, you know, how that played out. And it played out a little bit from how the dealers, the market makers had their inventory position and what the investing public did as well. So it was kind of a combined effect. And it was kind of like a gamma squeeze, which we call gamma squeeze, that caused that part, which was, which was also interesting. The reason I say that is the opportunities today are, are, are interesting as well, because as you said, the macro uh, events that are occurring in the marketplace obviously have caused implied volatility to do something interesting, meaning go up, right? So implied volatility goes up across the board. But what, what the, the interesting thing that we see there is um, sometimes you can sort of predict where those clusters lie in terms of shortness of options and longness of options. And it's again, it's based on what the dealer has. They're, they're, they're in control of this thing because they have all the inventory. And when you get to the inventory where they're short, which is typically a downside kind of put, um, at which happened in this environment, right? We had a big down move. All of a sudden, you get big moves up and down in the marketplace because they're getting a little bit whipsawed, or they can get a little bit whipsawed with their neg- what we call negative gamma um, from their inventory, right? So we look at those sort of clusters and, and, and like to see where they exist to kind of get a feel for, hey, there might be some support down at this level. There's no support at this one. And it has to do with that, that dealer inventory. So when you get big moves like this, you start heading to those places and then weird things start happening. Um, I hope that makes sense. But it's, it's, it's really interesting right now. We've kind of looked at certain levels and I think we've talked about it on our show a little bit. Um, and they've been pretty good with it. It's not bad. But uh, it's it's volatile, man. I'll tell you, it's it's what an option trader loves, right? And, and well, I I can't wait to dive into that in a little bit. But first, I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit. One of our um, traders recently tweeted something about the SPY four fifty strike in the open interest. There mm-hmm. is that something similar to what you're talking about with uh, the the gamma, as far as that's what they're watching, or yeah. So what? Yes, it is. So what happens in that in that situation is there's 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 a few things that can go on, right? So what we tend to see is it might not just be a single strike; it would be a cluster of strikes. So let's say the 450 strike is is the high open interest. We like to look at what's around that strike as well, and if there's a cluster of 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 what we can determine as longs in the dealer position they're going to have positive gamma. So they're going to be able to beat down stocks, the market that runs and support the market that, that sells off around those positive gamma places for them, not for the retail guy, right? Mm-hmm. It's opposite on the short side. They're going to get, get dice. So you tend to see a little bit more volatility to the downside, even in intraday markets. So yeah, that can happen. The other thing that happens at those potential high open interest spots is you tend to see little blips on what we call the skew curve. So things can get a little bit out of line depending on the inventory that the dealers are forced to take. And if they get overwhelmed in a particular strike, they have to pull up the spots around it a little bit to hedge it, or they can go out in time and hedge it. But you tend to see little sawtooths in the spike, I'm sorry, in the in the uh, skew curve around those areas. I don't, I don't want to get too technical here. I, you know, I don't want to go, go crazy, but I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it does. Uh, now on your on the blog or on Tradier's blog, you guys have a great piece on implied volatility. Mm-hmm. Um, the March Fed meeting is done and dusted. What are some IV trends that you're witnessing now that you're looking at mm-hmm. in various time frames? 
Yeah. So, uh, IV is interesting, right? It's, uh, it's what the marketplace is implying that actual volatility should be, right? Uh, or is going to be. Um, do they get it right all the time? Goldman and the gang are pretty smart. They're pretty good at figuring out what mathematically what those numbers should be. I always said, man, if you see an implied curve out there, it's probably pretty good. Um, but so they're good, they're good at that. That's their, that's their job. And there's billions of dollars behind it to, to, to predict these things. Um, term, in terms of trending, um, you know, everything I've looked at and, and chatted with real experts in that they're, they're, they're thinking that this is here to stay for a little bit. That doesn't mean that we're never going to see 10 ball again in the VIX. Um, I remember saying that after one of the crashes way back when we'll never see 10 VIX again. I go, you're wrong. We're going to see it again. And it got to eight. Um, it might take a little bit, but we'll get there. Um, as long as the, the global um, situation is where it is, uh, we're going to have the unfortunate consequence of an outlier event that could occur. And we all know what those could be, right? You know, I hate to say it, but some sort of chemical situation in Ukraine, a nuclear thing, we get pulled into it in a way where, um, you know, we put boots there. I'm not saying I'm for or against any of this stuff. I'm just saying if that happens, all of a sudden, you know, the market's got to price that in a little bit. There's got to be some bit of implied volatility that has that in. Now, I would say that that's not a huge probability based on what I'm seeing in the numbers. But look at I totally could be off. You know, we, we just, you know, it's, it's an indication. It's not a, a, an absolute. So how would you reconcile with, you know, you, you mentioned the Russia-Ukraine stuff. That was bubbling mm-hmm. in December, but it, it really caught fire. And then, and then everything else kind of piggybacked off of that. Mm-hmm. So was the implied volatility... You know, you, you were mentioning the, you know, the curve there. Was that something that was on people's radar in December? Or is that, like you said, an unexpected event? Because if it's an unexpected event, you yeah. almost have to say like something like that could always be around the corner. Yeah, that's a good point. I would say I, I wouldn't say it was unexpected. I would say then it was um, it was in people's mirror, but it wasn't on the front burner. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, this. A lot of talk, a lot of bluster, and I'm, I'm while I'm talking, I'm looking it up on on the on the screen here. Um, so yeah, it looks like you know implied was pretty low, relatively speaking, back then. And 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 Putin's lining up 100 plus thousand troops on the border, and, and people did not seem to fear that. And I'm looking back to, uh, sorry, I'm looking back to December here, roughly. And yeah, implied vol, and I'm just using spiders for now, but implied vol was pretty low. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a scary a scary level whatsoever. It was in the teens, let's say. Um, so that you know, they clearly didn't price that in. You, you know what? What makes people get scared? It's one good darn drop in that market, man. That's what we had. It, it that, I think that shook a few people up. I really did. Plus, it, it kind of built on itself. Very good. Um, yeah. So I, you know, that was not predicted back then. Right. So according to the data I'm looking at. Yeah, like you said, big drop, big the big drops is what really freak people out, and that leads into my next question: is I think retail traders looking to start into options, I think they're naturally a little skittish and wary of vol. Mm-hmm. So, what are some option strategies out there, almost that will make them, 
you know, dip your toe into the water that are sure. not not really vol proof but vol safe i'd say mm-hmm. and it's that's kind of a tricky question because nothing obviously is vol safe sure and then conversely what are some option strategies out there that utilize this vol that should be you know at the forefront of people's minds for the next 12 months sure 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 good question um questions so vol safeness let's, let's not call it vol proof i agree with you um vol safety what what tends to work there is um, what I see a lot of is iron condors, okay. And I don't know if I need to explain that, but it's they typically do a short put spread and a short call spread. Both short strikes are out of the money, and it's accompanied by a, a farther out of the money long side on each on each leg of the put in the call. So you've got four legs, and they're hedged off so that there are no uh, short units in the equation. So all the units are neutral. So there's a defined limit to your risk um, because you're both buying and selling a like option on each side, the call side and the put side, you tend to get vol neutrality. Now there is a vol to it, okay? Well, it's not vol zero, but it tends to neutralize the, uh, the vega risk, which is the volatility exposure in that spread. So iron condors, we see a ton of. Our, our client base at, at, at Tradier Brokerage, they, they love that trade. A, you can take advantage of higher premium, right? Which we see now safely because you have two legs hedged to it uh, or attached to it um, that are long as well. So that graph tends to look like, you know, a big trapezoid of sorts with fans out on the ends and uh, it's limited risk, limited uh, reward. Um, great trade. Look, I got to be honest. I know a lot of educators in the space uh, and they use that, that strategy uh, a lot. And they'll do it so that they may position it in front months so they can take advantage of that time. And these, these roll off and they roll it to the next weekly and they keep rolling it. And they have some maybe a longer strategy that has units to it behind it and farther out months so that if there's a massive move, you might collect something back there from the massive move. But you're collecting your decay and your premium each successive month as, as we go along. Wow. That, I, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, I really like that. That's that's very yeah. true. Yeah, no, it's good. And, and you know, these, these folks uh, nowadays in the retail world, they've got so much education at their fingertips, which is fantastic. I'm a big fan. So they're not just doing things crazily, right? They're really, it's really intelligent. It's well thought out. It's disciplined, all those great qualities they have. Um, but, you know, the retail world, you can't really be short too many units in the first place. It's just not allowed. There's so many risk parameters. In my day, you know, we had portfolio margin. We had all kinds of craziness um, that we could use, and we were professionals, so we got to we got extended a good bit. Um, but I'd say that you know the retail folks really can't be short too many units anyhow. So naturally, you have to come up with a safe strategy to begin with. So that iron condor is a great one. I love it. And you could, you know, sorry, but you could. You could position it so that you've got a big, huge band of profitability and the, you know, the probability of uh, profit is huge, or you can make it tighter. You know, it's, a, it's up to your, your trading strategy and, and, and uh, pain thresholds. This is a softball, but that's the beauty of the options trade world mm-hmm. is that, you, know, you can have this customization tailor-made to your, your risk level. So yep. you talked about you know, the defined limit of vol there. Let's you know go to go to the other end of the spectrum and say something that would really want to take advantage of a of a potentially volatile environment. You know, say you know leading up yep. 
Fed meeting in May, all you know, rumblings sure. of a fifty basis point hike. Sure, racing for that. Yeah. So, right. Um, interestingly, there. Look at it. What what the problem with with that is is that when there's a news event that comes out, whether it's at the micro stock level versus the macro level, implied volatility already starts starts percolating, right? And it naturally goes higher. Um, you know, our, our business was always to buy low volatility and sell high volatility. However, in the world today, with all the data that's available, you know, the internet, there's now this concept of relatively high and relatively low. So there's comparatives along the way. So to your point, there can be a, a, a news event that can be binary in terms of what it does to the market. And vol might be mispriced relative to the type of data that comes out. So that's true. The best way to take advantage of it, right, is to buy a straddle. I mean, I hate doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Buyer beware. It's the worst in the world, I think. For me, I don't, I'm not sure I ever – I won once on Google earnings, I think. Because, again, those people at Goldman are really smart. They always get the right price on that implied volatility and that straddle so that I buy it and lose money. No, I, but, you know, look, at if you have that belief that that has both sides of the equation, up and down, don't have to think about it. You've got a long straddle. You got to put and you got to call. It's there's vague involved. There's a lot of theta involved, but massive moves. You're gonna probably do well. Massive move, right? So, yeah, there you go. Uh, hey, thank you for sharing with me your your one straddle winner. That's <laughs> only one. <laughs> only one. The only one in the world. <laughs> I think I sold them more often than bought them. <laughs> hey, so you guys, Tradier is rolling out content left and right and you guys have just been on an absurd pace the last 12 months as we're wrapping up here tell me what's new and sure. any future project projects you guys got going on you'd like to promote floor is yours yeah well thank you um so one the biggest thing i would say that's coming out at trade year and we're, it's going to be available through the tradehawk platform is crypto so we're uh launching crypto my guess is if i'm a conservative is probably by july which isn't that far away. Um, and the unique thing that we're going to do, and I'm not going to give away all the goodies, but the unique thing we're going to do is um, we're probably going to disrupt the pricing mechanism of trading that. It's going to be very cheap to trade it at Tradier. Um, we are going to do our best to make it as seamless as possible so that you won't have to have a separate account to trade crypto versus trading your equities and, and options. It'll be a seamless flow of, of capital and money in your account. So you can have one account to trade this. Um, it will be part of Tradehawk. We'll, we'll have it in there, um, for sure. So it's, uh, we're excited about that. Um, and we'll be speaking about the crypto launch in the very near future at, at various events, um, as it, as it, as it comes close. Um, the other big thing for us, a little bit more of a, uh, you know, a sophisticated trader, uh, function is, um, we're, we're going to be do uh, offering uh, portfolio margin as well. So portfolio margins probably coming about the same time toward the end of July uh, on that. And then futures is in the horizon. So we're going to be adding futures to the stack as well, probably toward year's end with the futures. Um, so those are the big three initiatives that we have going, um, you know, that's out there. That's quite the big three. I like how the uh, the crypto has all under one account umbrella. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. I agree with you. Yeah. All right. Well, Lex Lutheringhausen. Uh, Senior President of Business Development at Tradier. I'm going to drop all your links in the episode bio so you guys can check them out. 
Um, but one last question. You are in Chicago right now, right? I am. I have a little outside. I'm in the suburbs. Okay. So I, gave that, I gave that city thing up a while ago. Hey, fair <laughs> enough. So I, I ask everyone from Chicago because I've had Tony Batista of Tasty Trade. I've sure. had SIBO people on Deep Dish or Thin Crust. Oh, man, that's a great question. I'm going, I'm going Deep Dish. I deep dish. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's native to Chicago. It's, it's, if you have it anywhere, you have to have it in Chicago. Okay. Well, and I, I would love to have some pizza casserole at some point. Oh yeah. It's great. I love it. I love it. Cool. <laughs> All right, Lex. Well, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this, you know, these future collaborations with trade year. Uh, I think there's going to be some great stuff coming from both of us and hopefully we can send some of our guys to you, to you and we can get something rolling. Perfect. I love it. Thanks, Patrick, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yep. Take care. You too.